announcement, and that is the uh, enchilada fundraiser on Sunday. It's going to be on Sunday, so <clears throat> if you haven't gotten your tickets, um, I guess you can still get them, or you can buy them on Sunday, or fight the crowds, whatever you have to do to get them. But uh, it's for a worthy cause, of course. It's for our scholarship uh, fund, and of course, end of the school year is coming up, and uh, we're going to be selecting uh, some of our graduating seniors uh, to uh, award them this, uh, this scholarship. So that's a good thing that we've been doing for a long, long time, and you all help very, very much. Well, this uh, evening, I'd like to have you turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 5, is really just what I'm going to read as our text for context's sake and focus our attention on verse 1 and one word in particular, and that is the word perilous, perilous. I mentioned on Sunday that um, I'm going to be teaching at a conference in uh, Wisconsin, uh, Appleton, Wisconsin, at the Calvary Chapel that holds a, uh, a uh, Great Lakes uh, Pastors and Leaders Conference. And, uh, and so I'll be speaking throughout the weekend and uh, just want you all to keep me in prayer, uh, especially since I'll be flying in that direction and there's a lot of funny weather over there, you know. I'm going from summertime, you know, the feeling of summertime here, even though with the winds we've had, uh, back to winter, and uh, I don't know that I'm enjoying that part of it, but anyway, I've got to get up there and, and uh, have a uh, this good, good time with some of my uh, brothers and sisters in Christ there in Wisconsin, so we're, we're looking forward to that, but uh, this is one of the messages that I'm going to be doing, and, and uh, Sunday, this past Sunday, I, I just uh, taught the other message, which is uh, dealing with uh, was dealing with the last day scoffers. Today we're going to deal with perilous times as we look for the blessed hope of our of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so as we begin in verse 1, it says, This know also, Paul says, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, or lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Shall we pray? Father, it is our desire to have you fill us, anoint us, and bless us with your Holy Spirit this evening so that we may grow in your wisdom and grace, that we might, Lord, mature in the understanding of your word as we see these days, not approaching us, but already here. 
So we desire, Lord God, that you'll truly speak to our hearts through your word and by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there may be a few of you, uh, I look around and I don't think it would be many of you, but I, I know that there are a few of you that might remember a Coca-Cola commercial that came out in 1971 that featured the song, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing featuring a lot of squeaky clean, hippie-looking young people from different lands and cultures gathered on a hillside holding Coke bottles and letting us know that if we buy the world a Coke, then the world would be in perfect harmony. Because you know, Coke is the real thing, right? That was the slogan of the time. How many of you, I've got to find out, how many of you remember seeing that that commercial, okay, well, more than I thought, yeah. Uh, boy, if, if life, compatibility, uh, problem solving, and world governance were only that simple, <laughs> that standing on a hillside and drinking Coca-Cola and bringing peace and harmony to the universe. But what was happening at that time? The Vietnam War was still raging. Riots against the war were continuing. Domestic terrorism continued through the weather underground, bombing places like the Capitol building. Political polarization between parties was becoming more clearly defined. And the idealism of a worried and frightened generation singing songs for peace was drowned out by the wickedness and evil of a depraved and unregenerate mankind. But there was a voice rising out of this quagmire, and, and it was a, a voice that was caused by the moving of the Spirit of God. It was the voice of other young people saying, get ready, because Jesus is coming. And with that movement of God's Spirit came an interest, an intense interest in the Word of God as it pertained to the soon return of Jesus Christ for his church. Now I say soon return because we believed in, the, in those days and times that the Lord could come at any moment. And the fact of the matter is he still can come at any moment. But I want you to remember how long-suffering the Lord is, not willing that any should perish, if you remember our text from Sunday not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he's wanted more and more people to come before he eventually will come and, and close out the books of this world, as it were. But we were interested in, in, in this time called the Jesus Movement, and I talked about it on Sunday as well. And the, the excitement of knowing that Jesus, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ would happen and could happen at any moment. Books like the 1970 bestseller to the late great planet Earth were flying off the shelves of bookstores, giving rise to Christian booksellers and bookstores. The study of biblical prophecy in the latter days while seeing the nations of the world in turmoil and upheaval like never before brought many to say the last days are here. And if they were the last days in the 1970s, they're even more the last days now. 
And it is critical to note that as we consider the very truths given to the disciples and to us by Jesus concerning these times, concerning the times of the end, one word sticks out. And I refer you to Matthew chapter 24, because this one word is used four times in four verses. And I've oftentimes said, if Jesus says one thing, it's important. If he says it twice, it's doubly important. If he says it three or more times, it's extremely important. And he uses this word four times. And I refer you to Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, when Jesus said unto his disciples, Take heed that no man deceive you. There's the word deceive, the first time you see it, here at least. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There's a second time. You jump down to verse 11, and it says, it says, And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. I think by now Jesus has made a point that one of the critical aspects of the last days is a deception that's coming upon the world, but in particular, coming upon the church. And then in verse 24, we see it one last time, at least here, where it says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, <clears throat> and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. I draw your attention to the words, if it were possible. The enemy will try as hard as he can to deceive even those in the church. And many will be deceived. And I say that because many are deceived today. But we're truly living in a time when the words of, of the Apostle Paul ring so true. In verse 1 of our text in 2 Timothy 3 Verse 1, when he says this, know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. There's a, an interesting study of this, this word that we need to get into. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's quite a significant word if, if we just read over it as being uh, a time of danger, a time that is... Uh, uh, dangerous or difficult times, as some translations may, may say. It, it doesn't uh, carry in the English the power of, of, of the, uh, the word itself in the Greek. The Greek word for perilous here is the word kalepos. If you like to write things out, it's C-H-A-L-E-P-O-S, kalepos. And this Greek word for perilous, kalepos, may translate and be defined generally as difficult, dangerous, or by implication, as furious or fierce. So think that the last days are going to be furious times, fierce times, dangerous times, difficult times, all wrapped up into this one whole thought. But the word itself is used only one other time. In the case of the demon-possessed men from the country of the Gadarenes, in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, where the word is used and, and translated as exceeding fierce. Exceeding fierce. Meaning extremely violent. 
So the word kalepos could, could actually mean that we're living today in very violent times. And I would say that uh, we would agree that these are violent times. Violent times not only internationally and, and uh, militarily speaking, but violent times in our own nation, in our own cities, in our own streets. But it is the root word from which kalepos comes that gives it an even greater strength of meaning for our understanding of this passage tonight. The, kalep, the word kalepos comes from the root word kalao, C-H-A-L-A-O, which gives the sense or the idea of letting down. And when I say letting down, I'm, it's like somebody taking a big sledgehammer and letting it down. You, you got the picture? So it comes from this word that means to let down or to strike by reducing strength. That's the full understanding of the root word for kalepos. To let down or to strike to reduce strength. Or striking to reduce strength. The perilous times in which we are living in today before the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are revealing threats not only to nations or peoples geopolitically but to individuals personally but especially to the true church of Jesus Christ with the very purpose of reducing its strength. I read through this passage, I've read it often, more this year than, than I've ever read this passage before. And I, and I continue to, to realize how Paul, even though he's, he's, he's speaking, if he's speaking at all generally about the times in which we're living He's drawing the church's attention to what can happen even within the church. And what the enemy has been attempting to do since nearly the beginning of creation. To strike what God has created to be good and right to reduce its strength. More on that in just a moment. But people today might say that the greatest threat to civilization is Islamic terrorism. And it certainly is a tremendous threat, not only in the Middle East, but actually it's getting to be worldwide a threat. Others might say that the greatest threat is global warming or climate change. That's going from the real to the ridiculous, isn't it? Certainly the list could go on and on, and we could name a lot of other things that we would consider to be uh, great threats, uh, nuclear threats, and, and so on and so forth. But we can all agree that it was, or that as it was prior to the days of Noah and the flood, and you can include the days of Lot as well, so it has become prior to the coming of the Son of Man. God is, let me, let me, just, let me just put this in, 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 interject this here. God is warning people that he's coming. God warned people about the coming of that destruction. Every time God was preparing to get, bring judgment upon his own people Israel, he warned them 
until the time that the judgment had to come. But they were warned to repent. They were warned to turn every time. Giving them opportunity to come to him and get on the safe side. Every time. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were warned. And in the Old Testament, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, in this particular case, as we'll, we'll see in a moment, the people were willfully ignorant. Which means they chose not to listen. They chose not to listen to those who were proclaiming the judgment to come. So when you go back to the time of, of Noah, you go back to the time of Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 where it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination, now think of that, every imagination, form, every conception, every purpose of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that wasn't over some, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of years. It was in a short amount of time. We oftentimes link Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10 to this same thought of Genesis 6 verse 5 where the prophet is, 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 uh, is given this word to give out. The heart is deceitful, he says. Crooked, fraudulent, polluted. That, that's what it means to be deceitful. To be crooked, fraudulent, polluted. These are, these are terms that you're hearing in the presidential campaign right now. From certain people to others. But the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. These verses and certainly many others give us every indication that we are living in a world that has gone mad. A world that has gone mad. I might have, I might have referenced this the other day, but I, I think I mentioned that, um, that there's an insanity in the world. But it isn't a clinical, psychological insanity, it's a spiritual insanity. And the enemy is, is, is destroying the minds of people. Earlier when I quoted from 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 and focused on this word perilous as the Greek word kalepos meaning fierce or vital like the demon possessed men of chapter 8 of Matthew. Those men, if you go back to read Matthew chapter 8, those men had reached a level of uncontrollable rage tantamount to a brutal, inhuman insanity. Exceeding fierce. Extremely violent. Simply, they were out of their minds. No reasoning, no rational thinking or action, no common sense. You think of our times today. You consider a first grade boy that is charged with sexual harassment for kissing a classmate. A first grader. 
and they're charging him uh, with sexual harassment just for kissing a classmate. Forty years ago, we said it was cute. Grade school kids are expelled for taking aspirin to school for headaches while other, others carried mouthwash for use after lunch. They're expelled. It's a little crazy, isn't it? Or at least we'd say it would be. Pregnant teens in middle schools and high schools are counseled to have abortions and then denied the right to notify their parents. Who are the, who are the crazy ones here? A Colorado judge ruled that a cake artist must create cakes for same-sex wedding ceremonies and then prove that he had com complied with a coerced speech order while an Oregon couple was fined $135,000 for the very same reason. And of course, this past year, our government has legalized an abomination. An abomination, the word of God says, is an abomination. Madness? I haven't even begun to start mentioning things like street demonstrators burning and looting the businesses of their own neighbors, gang warfare, drug wars, the pornographic industry, the shooting of law enforcement officers, just for no reason but to shoot at them, the constant threat of terrorism. I mean, this is political correctness run amok. Political correctness just run amok. Insanity. Let me ask you a question. When, when you hear the words liberal or progressives, do you tend to consider a political ideology before anything else? Usually we do, right? If I say liberal or progressive, we say, well, that's, that's political. Very rarely do people today apply these terms to any segment of the church except those who are truly committed to the word of God because liberal and progressive thinking in the church is, is completely uh, liberal thinking away from the word of God. The liberal progressive movement is not new to the church. It's been around for almost 200 years, but it has certainly gained a foothold in today's evangelical circles and because of this, uh, are moving rapidly toward ecumenism or ecumenicalism. Saying, you know, we need to put aside the Bible and we need to start uniting. You know, if we say we believe in Christ, then we should, you know, all come together. The question is, which Christ are we unifying under? There's only really one Christ. But so many cults and so many sects of the Christian church have, have made uh, something other than what Jesus really is. And I have to say that we're moving toward a one world religion that the Bible expressly says is going to happen in the last days. Along with a one world government that's going to be connected to a one world church. As we studied in the book of Revelation. And this you already know. But let's review the roots of all of this. Because if we don't understand the roots of all of this, then how are we going to deal with these issues when we have to face them in the church? 
Well, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You remember the story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, that uh, Adam and Eve are already on the planet. They're already in the garden. But we read in verse 1 that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And you want to underline that phrase, yea, hath God said? Because what the serpent was saying was, did God really say that? Did God really say that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did he really say that? You know, if I keep saying that to you, did he really say did he, What am I going to bring to your, to your mind? Doubt, right? Did he really say that? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but... Of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, there's, not, there's some inaccuracies a little bit here with what she says. You go back to hear what God said to them, to Adam and to Eve. But nonetheless, the serpent will say unto the woman, You shall not surely die. So first he says, Did God really say this? And then he says, Oh, listen, you're not going to die. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So you'll be like God. And maybe God just doesn't want you to be like him. So he, you know, he, he's going to tell you these things. You see, the subtlety of the enemy is to deceive. When we talk about Jesus saying, listen, when in the last days there will be deception, well, Jesus knows why, because this deception was born here in this garden, in this scene. Did God really say that? There's doubt. You're not going to die. That's declaring God a deceiver. Declaring God a deceiver. And then he says you'll be like him. Declaring man a deity. So all of those things. When you put it all together. You doubt the word of God. You, you, you'll have to say, if you doubt the word of God, then, then if you don't like something that he says, then he, you, you, declare him, you declare him a deceiver, God himself a deceiver, which means now the door is open for you to declare yourself or for man to declare themselves as a God. And there are certain people today teaching the fact that we are to be gods. We say, well, we're little gods we, because we're, we're the sons and daughters of God. And so, you know, we're joint heirs with Christ. So we're little gods. You don't want to go there. <laughs> you don't want to go there. The Bible is really clear. There's only one God and you're not him. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, okay, so... But movements within the past 75 years or so in the visible church. And when I mention the visible church, we have to understand there's a visible church which, you know, can be seen on TV worldwide, you know, and there's so many different names that are given to certain parts and segments of the, of, of, of the visible church. The, there's a word for that. It's called Christendom. Christendom is, well, they're, they're called Christ followers or Christians, as it were, but it all falls under this blanket or this, this umbrella called Christendom. And that's the visible church. 
The, the invisible church is the true believer in Jesus Christ who truly believes God's word, who truly has come to faith in Christ and believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again for the dead. And truly believes it and knows that their hearts are changed because of it. That's the invisible church. That's the true church of Jesus Christ. But when in the last 75 years or so, in the visible church, there have been groups, I mean, you can study them about them yourselves, the Manifest Sons of God, the Latter Rain Movement, the Laughter Movement, which was only about 20-some years ago, even though there were a lot of, of that stuff happening in little pockets for many years, but then it kind of became very popular, so the Laughter Movement got into churches, and there were people coming and, and preaching and saying, this is a revival, and the Holy Spirit is here, and all of a sudden people are in the aisles, you know, laughing and barking and and, you know, saying that they're drunk on the wine of the Spirit of God and they're acting like they're drunk and, and whatnot. And, you know, you never see anything like that in the Bible except for the demoniacs. Right? Because they were the ones who were insane. And now that's in the church? Wow. The Toronto Blessing... There was some of that going on there, the Pensacola Revival. I know we mentioned Coca-Cola earlier. This is not Pepsi-Cola. This is a church in Pensacola, Florida, where they were going through the very same things. The emerging or emergent church where today have uh, become very influential in, in, uh, in wanting to reach a lot of young people but not giving them the Word of God. They're emerging, but... If they don't have the word of God, they'll be submerging before you know it. Contemplative spirituality, new age uh, things happening in churches today, yogi, uh, yoga, I was going to say yogi bear, no, I'm sorry. Uh, the practice of, spirit, of, of yoga, you know, yoga is a spiritual thing, it's a spirituality thing, so you can't say you can you do that for exercise, it's, it's really, uh, if, if, uh, you can get a hold of Carol Matriciana on the, on the uh, on the internet and, and, and see some of the things. Because she was involved in all of these things before she came to Christ. And she was here with us about three years ago uh, with her White as a Gate uh, uh, conference that we had here. Contemplative spirituality, contemplative prayer, labyrinths, and all kinds of stuff. I may be saying things that you don't understand, but you need to find out about these things. We've talked about them we can't talk about them every week, but we've, we've taken time to do that. We're going to do it again in the near future. So you need to stay awake with these things. If you have any questions, you, you come and ask me and let me know. I, I want to let you know what the truth is about these things. Uh, there's a group now called the New Apostolic Reformation. It's not like a, a little group. It's just kind of a broad kind of spectrum of, of, of uh, people who are, are praying for a revival uh, in the church, there's going to be this one last great revival. But notice, listen to this carefully. There's going to be this last great revival, and the church is going to usher in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus can't come until we usher in that revival, and that's that's not biblical, folks. That's just not what the Bible teaches. Okay, so you know, I'm, I'm saying some very general things here, but we've talked about them very clearly before. And these are just to name a few of the things going on in the world today. And I haven't even mentioned non-Christian cults. <laughs> and they're all over the place. And we know about the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and all of these other, these other groups. Uh, but all of this, all of this can be traced back to the initial and ultimate deception. Did God really say? 
Did God really say? You're not going to die. You'll be like him. And let's face it. They present the gospel and Christianity in a totally different way to the world. They're a postmodern society. Truth is a moving target for them. Truth isn't just something that you can get. Like we have truth because we have God's word. No, for them, they don't look at God's word. So therefore, the truth is kind of a moving, moving target. Many of them hold to the philosophy of relativism. Which means that they make the rules as they go along. We can't make the rules as we go along because we have the, the word of God that tells us what the rule is. You know, love thy neighbor as thyself and, and, you know, or love God above all things and then love your neighbor as yourself. In these two hang all the law and the prophets, but there are specifics, of course. And they certainly are experiential. They're experiential about about the Holy Spirit, you know, they want to, the, you know, but, but, but they forget, you know, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. We can't put the, fa- the focus just on the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, it's a blessing to have the Holy Spirit among us, and a blessing to know that he's, he, he's come not only upon us and around us and, and to be with us, but also to be in us. But what does he do? He testifies of Jesus Christ, always testifies of Christ. This is, why, this is why Jesus said to the, the woman at the well, he's, you know, that God is a spirit and we who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Because you cannot separate the spirit of God from the truth of God. They have to be presented together. And so for them, the Bible is not the absolute truth because there are no absolutes. And so they don't want you to, you know, I, I've heard one of the, one of the preachers of, of, the, of these movements say, you know, listen, you, you guys worship the Bible they say that we worship the Bible because we study the Bible. Are we worshiping the Bible or are we here to worship God? See, but it's easy to say from a pulpit, hey, you know, they, these Bible worshipers. No, I love the word of God because God said, this is my word and you read it and you study it and you learn it and you know me through it. So if you want to call me that, that's fine. But I tell you what, I'll never go any place that says, you know, the Bible is... It's good, but, but I'm out the door. I'm going to be out the door. You have nothing to teach me if you don't teach me what this word says. And it brings to mind a verse in Judges 17, verse 6. And, and by the way, it's, it's, it's actually found throughout the book of Judges. But this verse here is, is classically describing the times in which we are in. It's just Judges 17, verse 6. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, there's a few ways of looking at that, that first statement. In those days there was no king in Israel. Now, they didn't have a king. Why? Because God was their king. The fact of the matter is they weren't recognizing God as their king. Therefore, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes because they did not recognize the God of Israel as their king. And they did what was right in their own eyes. So whatever happened to the word of God, what happened to it? Whatever happened to doing what the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, exhorted us to do? What has happened 
to the word of God that says to us, as Paul said to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things. What has happened to that? Prove all things. In other words, test all things. Hold fast that which is good. In other words, you test everything, and then what is good, you hold on to it. And you hold fast to it. And you believe it and you do it. Prove all things. Test things. The word of God is what we test things with. What happened to the word of God that was given to Paul, or I should say given to Timothy through Paul, who was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to teach him what he was to do as, as a pastor and as a leader in the church who had been struggling because there were those who were, who were opposing him as a pastor in the church of Ephesus. When, when Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 5, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Proclaim and declare the word. What word? The word of God. <laughs> preach the word. Be instant. In season and out of season. In other words, be instant. Be ready. At all times to give a word of the Lord to those who need to hear it. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. In other words, correct what is wrong. With what a person saying that is not lining up to the scriptures. Use the word to say, no, 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 no. This is what it says. And here's a reference that ties to another reference that ties to another reference. And so this makes it very clear then that you're saying this other stuff, but this is the truth. There's a joy in, in, in my heart sometimes when I, I see the light bulb go on with somebody who was kind of confused about something in the scriptures. And I was, well, this, look at all of this substantiation from the word of God. We've tested all things and we, we can now hold fast to this which is good. And they said, wow, you know, I can see the light bulb too. Boom. You ever seen the light bulb? Boom. And it just, so cool, man. God turns it on and they go, wow. Why? Because the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is truly light. So when you got groups going around saying, well, you know, there's some, some verses of scripture that we might look at. They're holding, a, they're holding a flashlight with no batteries in it. So you can't see the truth in it. But notice why he says these things to Timothy. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound teaching of the word of God. There is a time coming. Well, we are now in that time. But after their own lusts. And where did we see this before? The last day scoffers. 
what we read this past Sunday. After their own lusts, they mock at those who believe in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here again, Paul uses that phrase, after their own lusts. By the way, what we read was 2 Peter chapter 3 last Sunday. So Peter said it, Paul is saying it. After their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Because, you know, they don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear something that substantiates, you know, the, the, the lust of their flesh. The, 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 you know, for example, if, if there are people who are, you know, boy, I tell you, they just don't want to listen to you tell them anything about, about the issue of, uh, for example, homosexuality. Even though you show them through the scriptures, they don't want to hear that. They'll go to some church where they, you know, they welcome them. And they, well, we're not going to go there. Well, you better go there. Because you're going to have to stand before God because this is what is going to be used to light the heart of every believer. But notice verse 4, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And my goodness, this world is full of fables. And there are churches erected today based on fables. But then he encourages and exhorts Timothy to watch. He says, but watch thou in all things. Watch. Don't, don't fall asleep. Be watching. Endure afflictions. Because you're going to face them when you have to face people who do not want to accept the truth. You endure those afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. You may be a pastor, but you're also an evangelist. You, you, you're called to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, make full proof of thy ministry. And there's that word proof again. How do we make full proof of our ministry if it isn't by standing upon the word of God? We make full proof of our ministry because we love God's word, we stand upon God's word, we declare God's word, and we live by God's word because we're in the last days. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Now we're coming to grips with this issue of, of, of uh, proving all things. Because he says, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try, which means test. Test the spirits, whether they are of God. I think it would have been an obvious thing if you had been in a church 20 years ago and some evangelist comes by and says, you know, I just want you all to start praying and then I just want you to know, just do whatever the Spirit's leading you. And of course, there's a little bit of push, push, push with words and say, now, if, you know, if you're feeling the leading of the Holy Spirit, then, you know, if you get on your knees and you start barking, that's just the Spirit, brother. What have I just done? And then all of a sudden, people are, are, are shaking and trembling and, uh, you know, we've, we've already talked about that. They're barking and yelling and screaming. I read one report where one guy was, you know, as soon as, as soon as this guy said, you know, the spirit's here, some guy went flying into, 
right into a wall. I think he just went and ran and rammed himself into a wall. And I'm thinking, what? Have we gone mad? Now, this isn't a church. Well, supposedly. Test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Getting back to what Jesus said to his disciples would be at the core of, of these false prophets and teachers. And, 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 and this, was, this was Jesus' threat assessment. He was giving us a threat assessment in Matthew 24. You, you go back and you read what he says in Matthew 24 and, and you think, and by the way, he also alludes to these things in, in Luke 21 and, and Mark 13. But, but in Matthew 24, you know, there's this very thing that he was saying, for example, just the first, the first part of it when he, when he said uh, there in verse, in verse 4. And he said, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. He says, this is what it's going to be like. Because the disciples asked him, what, 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 uh, when the, what things, tell us when these things shall be and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world. And this is when Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. Deception is what we see in the last days. But there's one other thing, and that is, that is delusion. Delusion, the second thing that, uh, that we need to kind of quickly talk about here, delusion. Because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, when Paul is talking about the Antichrist and the Antichrist being on the earth at this time of the last days, And he says in verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And notice again the list. There's going to be power behind the Antichrist. There's going to be signs that are going to be done uh, through this Antichrist. But notice lying wonders. Lying wonders. Almost as if it's sleight of hand things that are happening. You ever seen things like, there's videos all, uh, you know, on the internet, you know, some guy you know, throwing a, a, a basketball from about 30 feet, uh, 30 stories up in the air and making a basket down on the street, right? You know, there's a little basket on the street. Yeah. And, th and this is all video manipulation. I mean, let's face it. I think it is. I know it is. We, we're, we're that smart to do all of these kinds of things. You know, the old uh, ma magician David Copperfield, you know, this sleight of hand. This, this guy went from doing sleight of hand with his hands here and making elephants disappear. But there's a way of doing it. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing because it's done on TV. And these are the things, you see, that kind of give us an idea that when the Antichrist comes, things are going to be done that people are going to marvel at. But notice how. Verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. There's a sad thing that goes on today in that there are some people going around believing that they're saved, but they're not because they have not loved the truth. 
The truth is the word of God. So it is very care- it's, it's a very careful thing we take here, you know, that we don't just say, say this prayer and you're saved. We want you to pray, but we want you to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead. But the point is that we will not see that life change until there is repentance, until there is a a realization that we are sinners before God. So even in the last days, it's it's troubling to think that we we can gather so many people together and say, just say this prayer. But who knows the heart but God? And if they go off in their separate ways, some may go to a good church, others may not. Others will be deceived into thinking that just by that prayer they're saved, but they have no change of heart, no change of attitude, no change of direction, no change of life. Verse 11, and for this cause God shall send them strong Delusion, there's the word delusion. What does it mean? It is, delusion is a seducing, fraudulent imposter. Something that seduces because God says, you know what, I've, I've given you every truth coming at you, but you've refused that and you've accepted these things. And so he sends a strong delusion, a strong seducing thing that they should believe a lie. And many Many Greek scholars say it's not a lie, but the lie. Which lie is it? You know which lie it is? The lie of Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say that? Doubt. You're not going to die. Declaring God a deceiver. You're going to be like him. Declaring man a deity. Verse 12 is very heavy, that they all might be damned who believe not, believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And it comes down to this, that willful ignorance that is tied together to willful disobedience. I don't want to believe that. It's too hard to believe that God is there even though we know that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes, that is God, because you see, God is not only the God of mercy and love, God is also the God of holiness and of righteousness and of justice. He's a judge. He is a God of justice. He's a just God, which means that if he does not judge sin, then he's not God. But the third thing that is implied in all of this is what is necessary in the church today and that is discernment. I call it the missing gift. Because there are so many people today that are just not discerning of the things that are going on. 
Because so many things sound really good. They sound good. They, you know, they carry Bibles. Have you ever read some of the, the modern translations of certain Bibles? I, I'm not going to say any of you may have them, but, uh, you know, the, the point of the matter is, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's some really, really bad Bibles out there. Bad translations. Horrendous translations. But they're bestsellers today. This is why I stick to something that has been used for 400 years. And I try to teach it so that I can make sense of it for you in our day and time. But it still holds on to be true. Because I don't want to deceive you. And I don't want you to be deceived. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10 says to another, these are, these are, this is in the middle of, of Paul giving out the gifts of the Spirit uh, in, the, in 1 Corinthians 12. And it says in verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another notice discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. This is the missing gift in the church today. We all, as believers in Jesus Christ, need to be, we need to be discerning. I, I would, I would, I, I, I say this boldly that God wants us all to be discerning. This is not one of those gifts that if you want it, you can have it. If you don't want it, you don't get it. <laughs> I mean, we could always argue the vocal gifts. We can always argue whether, you know, we, we, speaking tongues is important or not, you know, to some people. I believe all the gifts are important, but I'll say this. This is one of the most important ones, the discerning of spirits. And I've already given you 1 John chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that talks about proving, testing things to be true. Test the spirits, John said. Discerning of spirits. Listen, the word discerning here is from the word diacrisis. By the way, there's a word crisis in this word. But it says discerning means to separate thoroughly. To separate thoroughly or to, to have judicial estimation. To estimate things judiciously. Weigh things out carefully. Separate the truth from the, from the things that are not true. That's discerning. There are discernment ministries today that are being attacked by a lot of people today in the emerging churches. All these, emer all these discernment ministries, and they're, they're out there just, you know, to scare people and, and say, you know, oh, listen, you know, there's conspiracies of all kinds out there. No, listen carefully. When Solomon, the son of David, had asked God for, for something, when God says, what is it that you want, Solomon? He wanted to discern. What he asked God for was to be able to discern the good from the evil. You can read it if you like. First Kings chapter 3. We don't have time to go there. When we talk about Solomon being the wisest man in the world, he was for a certain time. Until he took his eyes off of the word of God. And he stopped discerning. First Timothy 4 verses 1 through 6 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Listen, this in the church, where groves, uh, droves, I should say, of people are departing from the faith, 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received notice with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. Nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine wherein thou hast attained. Putting brethren in remembrance of these things. This is what I hope that I'm doing today. But I want to leave you, uh, well... Yeah, I guess I, I should say I want to leave you with this passage in Acts chapter 20. I, I actually cut it back from a whole long thing. We, we could be here all night reading this passage, but I, I cut it down a little bit. So it's, it's Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. I want you to listen carefully to what Paul says of his own ministry. He says in verse 27 of Acts 20, he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you the, all the counsel of God, which means the whole counsel of God. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. Now he's talking to the elders of the church, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. Feed them what? Feed them the word of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing, my leaders in the area where Ephesus was, after my departing shall grievous wolves come in or enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They're coming in to take your flock from the truth. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. There are pastors today who are, who are being called X-rated pastors or, or you know, talking about sexual things from the pulpits today, but, but doing it in such a way that has, there's no value in it. But, but shock value, that's about it. To draw away disciples after them. And therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to ward every one night and day with tears. Where are the tears in the church today? When it comes to the truth of the word of God. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Unless we look at the seriousness of what Paul was saying, they're going to bind me. I'm, I'm bound. I'm bound by, by my love for God and for, uh, for his people to Jerusalem. I'm bound to go there. I don't know what is expected of me. This is what he says earlier. I don't know what is expected or I don't know what to expect, but nonetheless, I'm going. I feel drawn, bound by the Spirit to go. This is serious things. This, this is not something to say, you know, you know we'll, we'll do this in between, you know, our, our lifting up of a beer in between our, our, our meetings, you know, because there are some churches that meet in, beer, in bars and they, they drink beer to, to, to talk about uh, certain sections of the Bible. You didn't know that? 
kind of wake up and realize this is what the emerging church does. Because they feel they have the freedom to do all of these things. All things are lawful, Paul says, but not all things are beneficial. They're not beneficial. We have to discern. Tears. Where are the tears? For the truth of the word of God. As we await the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, I would want you to hold on to Paul's heart. Take hold of Paul's heart as he prepared to go bound to Jerusalem. And go back up to verse 24. We, we didn't start there, but I want to end there. Verse 24. This is the heart that we need to have when we face all of these things. And we're going to, when, we're, when we're finally waking up to the fact that these things are happening all around us. Paul says, but none of these things move me. Everybody telling me, don't go, Paul, don't go, Paul. Things are going to happen bad to you. You know, people were prophesying at him. He says, none of these things move me. Notice what he says. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Which, which one of these multi-million dollar, you know, uh, faith healers are, are going to say this? Which one? Any of them? Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Not one charlatan. Not one false prophet. Not one false teacher. Will say that he will not count his life dear unto himself. Think about it. We began with perilous times. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, we keep looking up. If you listen to the words of Peter, and I know I said this was it, but one more. This is it. What Paul said to Titus, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This is Titus 2, verse 11, verse, uh, I mean 12, verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee.